Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are in the world, and welcome to this month's Black Hat webcast, Oracle Database Forensics, brought to you by Black Hat and United Business Media, LLC. I'm Steve Paul, and I'm your announcer today. We have just a few announcements before we begin. This webcast is designed to be interactive between you and our presenters. Later in the program, we'll ask for your feedback. Speaking of participation, you can participate in the Q&A session by asking questions at any time during the presentation. Just type your question into the Ask a Question text area below the media player, then click the Submit button. We'll answer as many questions as time permits after the presentation. You may enlarge the slide window at any time by clicking on the Enlarge Slide button located below the presentation window. Slides will advance automatically throughout the event. You can also download a copy of the presentation by clicking on the Download Slide button below the presentation window. And at this time, we recommend you disable your pop-up blockers. If you're experiencing any technical problems, please visit our webcast help guide by clicking on the Help link below the video window. In addition, you can contact our technical support helpline, which is also located in the webcast help guide. And now on to our presentation, Oracle Database Forensics. Moderating today is Jeff Moss founder of Black Hat. Over to you, Jeff. Hey, thank you. Uh, I want to say hello, and uh, it's snowing here in Seattle. It's a beautiful day to kick off uh, another webinar. This is an ongoing series that we do every third Thursday of the month. And uh, coming up next month in January, we're going to be doing one on uh, Mac Apple OS X security. But for us, today, we're joined by David Litchfield, uh, prominent database security researcher who spent a lot of time looking at Oracle, um, but not just Oracle exclusively. He's also looked at DB2 and MSSQL and, and a number of others. And uh, we're going to be having him give us a presentation on a new tool he's developed, and then also we'll be taking questions. So for those of you who haven't dealt with the system before, I'll sort of talk and interrupt David every once in a while with questions. I'll try to maybe clarify points. Um, and I might just ask uh, questions to steer us in a, in a direction that if we're drifting off topic. Also, uh, I'll be using the, uh, the question and answer session to bundle up some of your questions. So uh, if I don't answer your question immediately, don't worry. We see all of them on the console, and uh, we'll get to them as fast as we can. And if not during the presentation, I'll deal with them at the end of the presentation. So uh, for those of you who don't know uh, David, yeah, he's a noted database security expert. He's co-authored uh, the Database Hacker's Handbook, uh, the Shell Coder's Handbook, SQL Server Security, and Special Ops books. And currently, he's a chief research scientist at NGS Software. And I have to congratulate him because just recently, NGS Software was acquired, and he's now moving into the role of chief scientist, hopefully having more time to hack on the things that he likes. Okay, so... Dave's got a new Oracle forensics tool called AuraBlock, and it allows a forensic investigator to dump data from a quote-unquote cold Oracle data file, uh, preventing the data from file modifications that could result if you end up actually loading the data file in a live database. And this allows the investigator to preserve the evidence. AuraBlock can also be used to locate quote-unquote stale data, data that has been deleted or updated um, but hasn't been purged from the data file yet. So I want to thank Dave for this, and uh, this is one of the first times he's talking publicly about the tool besides his post-bug track, and, and I'm sure people have been playing around with it, and you've gotten some feedback, so we'd love to hear about that too. Um, as always, just feel free to ask questions, and with that, I'm going to uh, pass it over to Dave. 
and uh, sit quietly in the background. So take it away, Dave. Great. Thanks very much, uh, Jeff. So I'm calling to you from Scotland. It might be uh, snowing and a beautiful day over in uh, Seattle, but right here in Scotland it's miserable, cold, and raining. But when uh, is it And in the middle of the night, of course. <laughs> so, well, thanks everybody for um, you know joining into the uh, today's uh, webcast. I'm going to be speaking about um, the dissection of uh, an oracle attack in the absence of auditing and looking at a uh, how one would go about forensically an analysing a uh, compromised database. So just very, very quickly, the scenario is AgniCorp, they're an Oracle shop, they use Oracle application server on the web front end, fitting into a back-end database server, and the DBA gets a feeling something's not quite right. Oh, wait, so, Dave, I'm sorry, before I interrupt you, before we get going, can you just mention um, what what inspired you to create this tool, and then is it free? Can people distribute sure, it? Sure, yep. And uh, so, maybe where do they find it? Okay, so I was I was going to wrap up with the tool um, part, but I, I can talk about that very very quickly now. So essentially, Auroblock is a free tool. Um, it, it's uh, open sourced. It's available on www.databasesecurity.com. You can download it, um, have a play with it, re uh, review the source, and so on. Um, it compiles fine on Windows, uh, Linux, and uh, uh, Mac OS X. So um, you know, it pretty covered pretty much covers all of the, uh, you know, uh, popular flavors of um, systems out there right now. So, um, Auroblock itself, um, there, there, are, there are tools which could be used in a forensic um, analysis of a compromised Oracle database. The problem is these tools weren't designed with forensics in mind. So, for example, there's an Oracle tool that was supplied a few years ago called uh, BBED. It's like a binary block editor. Now, the thing is, is the clue's in the name. It's an editor, and it opens up the, the Oracle data file in, in write mode, which is absolutely a no-no when it comes to doing, you know, a forensic uh, investigation. So the, uh, the Oracle compromise you're going to be telling us about, your experiences there really motivated you to create a forensics? Well, exactly. I, um, in in, in um, a couple of years ago, uh, actually back in about March 2007, if you'd Googled the word... Um, database forensics or SQL forensics or Oracle forensics, you would have probably come up with maybe one or two hits, sometimes zero hits, certainly for uh, Microsoft SQL Server. Then Kevin Fowley, uh, Kevin Fowler actually started writing some stuff. I think he presented at Black Hat last year, was it, Jeff? Could be, on yeah. SQL Server 2005 forensics. And so there's, um, before that, I had released a few papers on Oracle forensics and a guy called Paul Wright had uh, done some research into LogMiner as a, as a forensics tool, which is completely a no-no as far as I'm concerned, because, again, you're having to load the redo logs into the Oracle database server, and that's, that's going to, by its very nature, change them. So Auroblock um, and the, the next tool I'm writing, which is um, going to be uh, a tool which allows someone to do a forensic analysis of the redo logs, which we'll get into in a, in a minute, there's there's no tool, as I said, that basically has been designed with forensics, you know, in mind. So uh, that that's why uh, I created these tools. Basically, there are, in fact, no. Well, obviously, Oroblock exists now, but pr prior to Oroblock, there were no database-specific forensic analysis tools. You know, um, 
that can understand like the database file formats and and so on for and you know a given database server. So my aim over the next uh, you know coming year to eighteen months basically is to document as much as I can the areas where evidence can be found and develop some free tools that will allow forensic examiners to locate the evidence and uh, have them peer-reviewed and in time has, have them accepted into the family of forensics tools, uh, basically. So, so that's, as I said, that's my goal for the next um, year to 18 months is, is to, 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 you know, cover as much of the database area uh, as I possibly can. So then why don't you... Uh... Sorry for taking us off track, but then tell us then on this uh, intrusion what uh, you know, what got this all started. Well, this, this is just a, a, make, a make-up situation basically. But my background is um, attack basically. Um, that's where my real expertise lies. It's in breaking into systems and, and come up with new in, in, innovative ways to do that. Now, given my experience in that area, I you know have um, a, a really good understanding of, of how database servers work and what goes on in the background and where evidence might be found and what one would need to do in order to remove that evidence um, or, or attempt to remove that evidence because it, it, it's very difficult when you, you're dealing with something like an Oracle server. It, it's almost like a, a chicken and egg kind of situation where to get rid of something you need to create something and in the act of doing that, that leaves evidence in and of itself kind of thing. So you're always, you know, going around in circles. But anyway, the, the whole point is, I, I was looking at the, the, the attack side of things and, and thinking, well, given laws like SB 1386, you know, the, the Californian database uh, notification, uh, the data oh, yeah. notification law, that, you know, I think 30-odd um, states, 35 states now have similar breach notification laws, and yet, there is no tool out there that will allow you to very, very quickly say, yes, you have been compromised and here's the evidence, basically. So it was that, you know, absence of anything to allow those people out there who may be compromised, who may be worrying, do I need to, you know, notify under the breach laws of, of the state I'm in? Um, there weren't any decent tools out there to allow people to quickly ascertain whether they needed to notify or whether they were, you know, okay not to notify, so to speak. So that was another motivation behind, you know, getting into the forensic side of, um, you know, database databases essentially. So does that answer that? Yeah, that's great. Sweet. So yeah, this, this actual compromise um, is typical of the kind of compromise you'd see in a real world scenario. And I'm not going to get into the specifics of the compromise. Just su suffice it to say that. In the process of breaking into the system, the attacker has probably uploaded to the database server an attack toolkit, which will leave evidence behind itself. Even if they try and delete that, we can, you know, recover what that attack toolkit does or did. And um, even if they don't upload um, a, uh, an attack toolkit, uh, and they're, they're just simply reading data, selecting data from the database server, I'm going to show how it's possible to find evidence of selects, um, even in the absence of auditing, which um, is extremely useful, um, you know, especially in the absence of auditing. So, yeah, the scenario is, you know, a generic scenario, and I'm more obviously concentrating on the, the science behind extracting evidence of that attack. So, so that's, let's move on to uh, the next slide. Uh, I click that. 
So where is the evidence? Um, well, in Oracle, the, the the best place to find the evidence of a of a compromise is actually in the data files itself, specifically the metadata and uh, statistic based uh, information that Oracle, uh, you know, keeps track of uh, just for the, the general health of the database uh, itself. Now, obviously, there's other areas, uh, typically things like your TNS log files. I hope everyone here has a good understanding of, uh, or at least a, a modicum of an understanding of, uh, the Oracle database server itself, because if I'm throwing around terms like TNS log files and you don't know what TNS is, then, you know, I, I apologize, but it's, it's not really the meat of the, the talk, so we can skim over that. But TNS log files basically are, the TNS listener is the, the sort of portal whereby all client communications go through the TNS listener to begin with and it connects you to the Oracle database server. Now, that maintains its own log files, um, which is, you know, provides a wonderful source of information. Then there's the trace files if, if trace is being run. Redo logs are basically the, the transaction logs. So any time there is a transaction, so that includes insert statements, update, delete, select for updates, all those kind of things, um, DDL, DML, sorry, I should explain that. DDL is data definition language, and that includes things like create, alter, um, grant, and so on, uh, those kind of statements. Those all generate transactions. DML is your, your inserts, your updates, and your deletes. All those create transactions as well, and information about those uh, transactions are stored in the redo log. So that's a really wonderful source of information, especially if someone is going around creating you know, objects in the database. <laughs> or, um, say, for example, updating their, you know, bank details to say, yes, I have a million a million dollars in my account. So, Redo Log um, is a, a special fruitful source of information. Um, the data files, as I said, um, they, they provide a wealth of information. Uh, and the, the large part of this talk, given that Auroblock, the tool itself, looks at these data files, the last part of this talk will concentrate on, uh, on, on on the data files. Then, of course, if you're using Oracle Application Server, then the Apache logs themselves uh, can provide a wealth of information as well. So I'm moving to the next slide. So as I said uh, just a few moments ago, this talk is largely going to concentrate on, on the Oracle data files. Now, this um, an Oracle data file, basically, is split up into little chunks called uh, data blocks. Now, this here, uh, this little image is um, sort of representative of a stylized ideal of what a, a data block looks like. So at the top, you basically have a header, and that header is divided into a couple of sections. There's a table directory, a row directory, and so on. Now, the row directory, we'll, we'll be talking um, more about the row directory in, 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 in a minute, but suffice it to say that the, the head is at the top uh, and goes downwards, and the data itself is at the bottom of the Oracle data block, and it grows upwards. So when a new row of data is inserted uh, into an Oracle data block, it grows upwards, basically, and a new entry is added to the row directory. So if we um, move to the next slide. Oh, hey, David, I've got a yep. quick question for you. Um, comes from Ray... Uh, he asked, would the redo logs cover adjustments and transactions? Uh, Ray, could you quickly type exactly what you mean by adjustments and transactions? 
All right, and we'll uh, we'll follow up on that after your next uh, slide. Um, okay, so the row directory is um, key to understanding how to extract um, data from uh, an Oracle data file. Now, the row directory, the, 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 the name is, is the, the clue. It's a directory, basically. So if you imagine, like, a telephone directory, you, you know, you uh, <clears throat> and you want to get in touch with someone, it provides the, the telephone number, so you can, you know, follow through to the bit of, you know, information you want. So the row directory, basically, is um, a, a two-byte slots that are offset into the, the data block itself that point to a row of data. So as a new row of uh, data is added to the, the data block, a new slot is used up in the, the row directory and, and it, it goes downwards towards the data, you know, filling up the, the free space. Now, moving to the next slide, a row of data itself. Now, let's say you have a, a, a table that has um, three columns uh, someone's name, their age, and um, the first line of their... their, their <coughs> excuse me, I'm losing my voice here. It was the NGS Christmas party last night, so uh, <laughs> I'm a, a little bit under the weather because of that, and uh, shouting has uh, caused me to lose um, half my voice, so I apologize for that. But anyway, assuming there's a, um, a, a, a table with... Um, you know, three columns, name, age, and first uh, line of your, your address. Well, when someone inserts a new row, let's say David 33 Ladybone Cottage, well, that becomes a row of data in itself. Now, the row itself has a, a three-byte header. Now, the first byte of that header are a set of flags that indicate something about the, um, the row state. So there's eight different uh, flags. Uh, they're not listed there, but essentially they're K, which is a cluster key, C, which is a cluster table member, H, which is a um, head piece of row, D for deleted. Now, that one specifically mentioned because when a row of data becomes deleted, the, the fifth bit is, a, is set, basically. So a typical header might look like OX2C in, in hexadecimal, but by flipping that fifth bit, you know, setting that deleted flag, it would become OX3C. Then uh, the remaining four flags are FL, which are the first piece of data there and the last piece of data there, and PNN, which is uh, P, this, the first column continues from the previous piece, and N being the uh, last column continues in the, in the next piece. So those eight flags basically are, are set in that first byte of, of that row header. The second byte is lock status. You know, if, if there's some kind of transaction taking place, that lock status indicates that there's a specific section of the, um, <clears throat> the, the data block, the in, interested transactions list, basically. And that uh, basically points to the, the, the uh, index of the interested uh, transaction list. And more importantly, for byte number three, it's the number of columns which are in the row. Now, that might not be representative of the actual number of columns that might be in the table. So let's say, for example, um, someone, uh, when they create a, uh, you know, insert a, uh, a row of data, but only insert the first two columns, so name and age, and leaving the first row of, um, you know, the, the first line of the address um, as, as null, 
because you know uh, space uh, saving space is deemed to be a good thing, Oracle will not actually you know put null in there. They'll just leave that row of data uh, empty. So the the column header there, uh, sorry, the number of columns in byte three would say two, even though in the actual table itself there are three columns. So just because the you know a table might have a set number of columns. It's, it's crucial to note that the number of columns might not be representative of them. Now, if they um, and, and you would your tool or you would be able to run some type of consistency check or some well, way the, the, the tool checks for that, and when it okay. breaks up the data, it, it you know verifies against the number of columns basically. Um, you know, how, you know how much data to, to crank out basically before you, you know you, you come across the the, the next row. So. Okay, good. Yeah, so the, the, the tool takes care of all, all of that invisibly for um, In cases where there's um, a cluster, now a cluster in Oracle is basically where you have two tables that share column information. Now, let's say um, we have, uh, <clears throat> you know, a... Uh, a bit of data which is common to two different tables, but because they're so closely linked, if we can store that data together, then that would you know speed up performance. So Oracle has a cluster for that, basically, where you can store two or more tables in the same block, basically, in the same area, and that's called a cluster. Now, if it is clustered data, the, um, the seventh bit would be set, meaning it's a cluster, ta a cluster table member, and there would be four bytes in uh, in the <coughs> excuse me in in the uh, in the row uh, header. Now, the column length on byte three, essentially, let, let's face it, most data is not clustered, so we'll, we'll ignore that for the time being. The column and then deal with non-clustered data. The column length, um, you know, byte number three is followed by the number of bytes um, of data. So I'm going to swing forward to the next slide to show this. So, wait, before you get going, we've got yep. a follow up from Ray. Oh, excellent. And he says, for example, several fields that start at 10 and then all of a sudden are showing a negative 10. In the reader logs? Yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I, I, I don't I have context around that. Yeah. Um, so we'll deal with that later at the end of the. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I've put up a. Um, I published a, uh, a paper a while back that deals with um, disassembling the redo logs, and again, that's available from www.databasesecurity.com. And so, um, if Ray um, takes a look at that, it may answer his his question in in there. It may not. And Ray, at the end of it, um, I'll, I can give uh, you know you my email address, so you know we can take it off uh, line, and um, you know we'll see if we can uh, you know answer that question for you. So I apologise for that uh, right now. So going back to the slides, the uh, the uh, I'm, I'm trying to get my space back, my post back again. Oh yeah, the Oracle Data Blog. So uh, after the the row header. Basically, the next byte will indicate the um, the number of bytes in the first column. So if we look here, we have 04. So that means we would need to count four bytes long, and that would be our first row of data. 
uh, the next number after that, after counting four bytes in, is again four. So we keep on looping, and so we count four bytes in, and then the next byte is two. So we count two bytes along, and then we come across OX0D, and so we count that many bytes. And so if we basically go through peeling out the, the number of datas for the number of columns, which is listed in byte three of, of the row header, unless one of the bytes is FF. Now, FF is representative of null, as, uh, uh, is re represents a null, and it's always obviously one byte, uh, because it has to represent something. And um, so if we come across FF, we we don't need to count any uh, more, and it's just null, basically. So the next byte indicates the length again, and so on. So we can very quickly crack out, um, given the number of columns in, in the row, given the lengths of each column, uh, we can quickly crank out the... Uh, the, the data, basically, in, in terms of raw dumping. Now, in terms of translating that, which, again, Auroblock will do, you know, if we're dealing with a number, we need to convert that. If, we, if you look at column one and two, they're actually numbers, um, decimal numbers. But the way in which Oracle stores those numbers is, is it's not as straightforward. So the, the six there is, like, um, says there's, uh, we're in 60,000, um, actually, you, you should subtract one, so we're at uh, 50,000, and then the, the, the OX13 there is measured in thousands, and then the 2F um, is in units, but you subtract one from each and, and so on. So there's a, an odd quirky way, which makes sense for the database server to be storing numbers in this fashion, um, but that you know needs to be um, cranked out again in the tool, and Auroblock does this. So when we, when we get to to talking more about Auroblock, you can basically specify a file uh, using the minus C option um, of what the column data types are. So you can say column one is a number, column two is a number, column three is a number, column four is a varchar, and then so on. So basically we can start essentially querying a cold data file without actually having to use the, the database server itself. So as I said, more on that later. Um, cranking to the next slide. Okay, so going back to our attack scenario, what will typically happen in a real-world scenario is an attacker will, you know, uh, upload an attack tool. So most um, attacks, privilege escalation attacks in Oracle that don't rely on things like buffer, overflow, buffer overflows are PL SQL injection attacks. Now, what this basically means is... <clears throat> There are procedures that are owned by high-privileged users such as Sys or System or MDSys that might be vulnerable to SQL injection. These procedures are in default packages that exist in the database server. Now, the way in which Oracle um, executes in terms of a security model these procedures is basically by default it will use the privileges of the security privileges of the definer of the package. So if a Sys-owned package... Um, has a vulnerability in it and it uses definer rights uh, privileges, which is the default, then an attacker basically can gain sys privileges by exploiting that vulnerability because they essentially become sys at the time of execution, very much like um, a set UID binary on, on a Unix-based system. Now, in order to exploit those kind of flaws, typically what will happen is the attacker might create a... Um, uh, an, an auxiliary inject function, or they might use an extend function like um, 
uh, you know, DBMS SQL, create a, a cursor and check that cursor to be executed. <clears throat> but if, if that's not possible, what they might do, if they uh, can create a, uh, a function which is quite common um, for medium privileged accounts, they will create an inject function that um, executes a special pagma, which is autonomous transaction, sort of tricks the Oracle database server into thinking, you know, this you know, procedure is, this function is fine to execute because it doesn't uh, do anything to the database, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It does, of course, because the attacker is going to use it to um, execute something like grant DBA to public, um, which will then be injected into the, the, the vulnerable procedure. Right, and then yeah. that, that moves it out of a purely memory-based attack to leaving footprint somewhere in a exactly. table or a disk. Yeah. So the, what we can do in terms of, you know, analyzing a compromised database server, if the attacker has cleaned up after themselves and gone along and dropped all their, you know, attack kit, basically, then there will be evidence of what they did in the metadata. Now, to understand where that evidence might be, what we do is look at what happens when an object is actually created. So first off, there's obviously a row inserted into the obj$ table, the iobj1, iobj2, and iobj3 indexes, um, things like the name and the object ID and stuff like that. So, <clears throat> and depending upon the object type, if it's a table, obviously, you know, information needs it to go into the underlying tab dollar table, the column table, uh, col dollar. If it's a... Um, a function or a procedure or package or something like that, uh, or a trigger for that matter, uh, that would go into sources, IDL, UB, $1, and, and so on. So depending upon what object is being created, information is being put into a table somewhere or one or more tables. Now, if they go ahead and drop that object at a later stage, that information, when you drop an object or when you delete data in Oracle, it doesn't actually delete it from the data file. It just flips that fifth bit in that um, first byte and says, this is uh, just, this data is deleted. It no longer is live data. So it doesn't actually remove the data from the data file. So all we need to do is, well, we'll get to that in a Actually, is that the next slide? Yeah, that sounds a lot like the way uh, Outlook stores your data. You have to constantly remember to squeeze your data. Otherwise, your files just bloat. Yep. Well, I, I, we'll come to it in a minute. There is a thing called Oracle Block Cleanout, which, you know, will sometimes remove uh, data. <clears throat> but, yeah, I'll come to that in a minute. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So if we were to um, locate a dropped object, what we would need to do, basically, is open a data file that has the system table space. That, that basically is where all the metadata is. Locate all the blocks um, that have an object of... Uh, object ID of 18, that's, you know, the obj dollar table. And for each entry in the row directory is follow that to see whether, you know, there, any of them are marked as OX3C. And that tells us that is deleted. Now, typically, <clears throat> in a, in a, unless the system has been patched recently, you would not be seeing in a production in, environment, um, object, uh, the data in the obj table which um, has been deleted. You, you typically would not see that. Now, after, you know, after a while, once um, something has been deleted, once the block cleanout occurs, 
that wrong directory entry may not be um, set anymore. Now, uh, I'm going to talk about that very quickly because this um, provides a, a, a little wrinkle in terms of cranking out data, uh, deleted data, um, but we, 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 there's a, a workaround for this. So basically when, a, uh, when block cleanout occurs and data which has been marked as deleted, um, the, the, uh, they try to reclaim the, uh, the, the slot in the, in, the, in the row directory. Now what happens is uh, there's a, a, all the free slots are linked together in a list known as the slot-free linked list. Now, I don't know whether you guys can see it very clearly, but that um, the, uh, the image there basically represents a, a hex dump of what one of the slot-free linked list looks like. So that um, the, the first um, red block there, uh, if you can't uh, read it, it says uh, 0E00. Now, that's index 0. That's the first slot of the row directory. And this tells us that the next um, free slot in the linked list can be found at index OX0E. So we go forward to there, and sure enough, we find the next one in the list, which is has the value OX0F, which tells us the next one is, you know, at slot 0 f and moving forwards, we then come to OX17. So that tells us that the next um, free slot is can be found at you know uh, index OX17, and so we keep on following that through all the way until we come to FF OX FFFF rather. Now that indicates we've come to the end of the the linked list. So what happens now? is we have a problem because these used to be pointers to a row of you know data. Now it doesn't point to the row of data anymore, of course. But the row of data is still there. It's just nothing's linking to it. So what we have to do, basically, is obviously we can follow the, the live, um, <clears throat> the live uh, row directory information and look for the OX3C, you know, the deleted flag, and block off everything that we can follow through. Anything in the data which isn't blocked off, essentially, becomes, by its very presence and not being linked to, it must be, we can infer, um, deleted data. So we, we can still crank out the information, even though it's not necessarily uh, directly linked to. Now, if we move forward to the next slide... What we have here is, again, it's a hex dump. The, there's a big chunk, um, the, the free space I, I've sort of chopped out there, so, you know, to fit it all in, in one screen dump. The, the, the top half is the, uh, the row directory. And if we look at these offsets and follow them down, we, we basically find that these rows of information, of uh, deleted data. Now, this is, I think, from... Uh, IDL uh, UB1 dollar, and if we look at the the text, I don't again. I apologise if you can't uh, read it. I'll, I'll I'll read it to you. There are there's a, a function called extract syspassword with return bar char, and the text of it basically says 
more autonomous transaction. You know, that's that little hack I was telling you about to trick the database server into thinking, you know, nothing untoward is going on. And then it does an execute immediate, insert into a table called scott.mytemptable values, select the password for the sys user where the username equals sys, and then a, a commit takes place. Now, that all sounds very dodgy. And um, it's clearly indicative of, of an attack going on. So what we can infer from that is someone at some point has come along, created a function called extract this password. We can probably guess this is an auxiliary inject function, which will be piped into a PLC core injection floor. And, you know, uh, it will execute with sys privileges, basically. And if it's been successful, there will be a, a table called you know, my temp table owned by Scott, and there would be the, the sys password in there. So I'm going to move to the next slide now. And is and there it, a legitimate reason to see that? Is there a legitimate reason to see that kind of file structure? Or is this purely only done by... Uh, a PL SQL injection attack and yeah, well, this this is sort of representative of what a PL SQL injection attack would look like in terms of an attacker creating a an auxiliary inject function to you know to do their nefarious bidding basically. So this basically is just the text of a function which we've you know by looking at the um, you know dumping these deleted you know entries basically we we can recover you know, deleted, a, a, a deleted function. Now, having looked at what that function does and given the function's name, it, it sounds dodgy, as, as, I, as, as I said. So... But a DBA um, just hacking up some scripts and doing some stuff, they would never accidentally leave fingerprints like this. A, D, a DBA, yeah. I mean, there's no reason for a DBA to do this because a DBA, if he wants the sys password, being a DBA can just select the password from DBA yeah, users. So, yeah. This, yeah, there's not no hope in hell a DBA would be doing this unless he's hacking his own system, which he might, he might do, I suppose, if he's interested in learning about Oracle security. But, um, yeah, this, if I saw this, this would be prima facie evidence of an attack, basically, you know. Now, obviously, we, we don't just look at this in and of itself and say, oh, it, it was definitely an attack, because we can obviously look at um, the, the actual object itself, in the obj dollar table, when was it created, when was it modified, and so we can begin to get timelines out as well. Now, if we know something untoward happened to our database servers at a specific time, and this thing happened to create, you know, ha happened to be created in that window, then, you know, it, it, it's stacking up, all the evidence is stacking up, basically. So, if we look um, at the next slide, we can see, basically, that there is an object there called my table, um, sorry, my temp table, uh, and it, <coughs> excuse me, um, we, we can begin to crank out from there. Um, if we look at the LX3C, we see it's deleted. The next two bytes represent the, um, the, the lock status, that's the 01, and the uh, 11, LX11, represents the number of columns. The 04 there, I really hope people can um, see these these uh, slides. But I am I'm reading it too. So um, actually, if you can't read them, download the, uh, the the slides from that download button download button you were told about earlier. So the next byte is zero four, which tells us there's four bytes.
bytes of the first row of, of data. So that's C3061328. Now, if you skip forward a, a few bytes, um, down to, on, on the left-hand side is the offset in the file, which is OX189D37C0. And if you go in, um, let's see, two bytes, uh, three bytes to the 07, uh, that there, that 07786B0317120838 um, is a timestamp. Now, that timestamp is the time at which that was, uh, that the, the MyCamp table was created. Now, if we move to the next slide, I'll show you how to uh, dump all this stuff out. How, how that, you know, time, um, you know, stamp, it can be converted into a human understandable timestamp. Okay, so as, as we've you know sort of just done there, we we extract the the whole um, row of information. We can now start to break it down <coughs> into its you know based upon the, the column count and the um, column lengths. Break that out, knowing the structure of the. Um, the obj table, the first, um, you know, the first three are numbers. Uh, the uh, the fourth column is is a varchar, uh, and so on. Knowing that structure, we can then start translating these things. So if we um, take the the first row, we see that number translates to uh, uh, fifty one thousand eight hundred forty six, which is the object ID. Now, going back down to the timestamps, you can see there the 07786B03171208. That basically, when you convert that to a timestamp, comes up with the 23rd of the, the third uh, month, uh, 2007, at um, 37 seconds past the seventh minute at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, if you want the code for doing that, it's in the source of, of our block. Um, and uh, I'm not going to whittle that off the top of my head because I can't do it, to be honest. But anyway, the, 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 you know, having suffice it to say, I, I've uh, looked at the um, the way in which Oracle timestamps are, are laid out, and you know, it's all good code. So, moving forward. So, having extracted that object ID, if we just in terms of understanding where else we might find data. Uh, if we did a search on that um, object ID, you know, 51846, then we can find the object ID in a whole bunch of other places, such as monmods, imonmods, uh, which is an index, the recycle bin, because it's been deleted, and uh, the cfile um, block cluster, and, and so on. So there is a, a, a lot of information about the, the MyTemp table, which has been you know, stored across the, the database server. So there's, there's evidence that can be gleaned even if something has been um, removed uh, or someone's attempted to remove it, then there are still uh, places where we can find evidence. That's, I think, the point I'm trying to make here. Um, I'm really aware that we're, the time is, is, you know, getting on, so I'm going to... Yeah, I mean, you've got time. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking this is really more of the same, so we can skip forward a couple of these. This is what we spoke about earlier. This is the, once we extract the text of the uh, auxiliary inject function, um, this is what, you know, we get. If we, um, 
we then look for that table, you know, the object ID uh, 51846, we find that in the user's table, table space, and funnily enough, there is the syspassword. So we know that their attack has been successful and they've managed to gain access to the syspassword. So that having gone through the, the database, um, the object dollar table, found, you know, dodgy function names, gone to the sources table, found the text of the, you know, the, the, um, the, the function, had a look what it did, saw that it created a uh, insert into a table called my temp table. Having located that, we see the evidence is, is in there that they managed to get the sys password. So this is indicative of, of a successful compromise. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, I'm, skip, I'm going to skip forward because that's... Okay, so the Oracle redo logs um, are, as, as I said um, earlier, a wonderful source of information. Um, they, uh, unfortunately, are binary in format and, and aren't, you know, uh, human-readable. And there are a whole bunch of codes, basically, that we have to translate into um, human-understandable, um, you know, operations. So, for example, if we see um, a delete taking place, it, you know, the, the, the redo logs don't say delete. They say, you know, an operation uh, code of <coughs> vector of 11.3, basically. Or if it's an insert on a single row, it would be 11.2. So we need to, if I skip forward to the next slide, I'm hoping... Here we have an example of an insert in the redo logs. We can see basically that there is our insert opcode, um, uh, the 0B01. The object ID there of what was inserted into. Now, this, this shows I'm a real geek here because I can look at this and say, well, that object ID is for the sysauth table. And what has been inserted basically is the, um, the the numbers that make public a, a DBA. So rather than doing a grant DBA to public, what someone has done here is done a direct insert into the sysauth table to make DBA uh, public a DBA. So um, that, again, would be indicative of an attack because there is not hope in hell a DBA would be doing a direct in insert into this uh, table. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, timestamps in the redo logs are not stored in the same way. They're basically a, a, the numbers of seconds that have passed since midnight of the, uh, since the uh, 1st of January 
slide, the slide that is currently up, this is an example of DDL um, in the reader logs. Now, I spoke earlier about um, Paul Wright's paper on um, using the uh, LogMiner. Using things like LogMiner um, or alternatively using the um, auto-system dump log file uh, command, things like uh, these DDL statements, the text is not showed to us. So we really need to examine the, uh, the redo logs directly um, rather than relying on, a, on, a, on any extant Oracle tool because we would be missing useful, really useful information. Now, one of the key takeaways from here is the, the two usernames in the uh, sort of halfway down. We see Scott on the left and Sis on the right. Now, in a, in a typical DDL statement, the user that executes the, the DDL should be in both those names there. The fact that it's not, and Scott's on the left and Sis is on the right, tells us that Scott was the user that initiated the action, but the person who actually did it was Sis. So this is, again, indicative of a SQL injection attack. This is what you would see after a SQL injection attack has taken place. Now, what's actually happened there is Scott has caused a, a Sys-owned uh, procedure or um, function to execute the create user wiggy 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 statement uh, with a, a, a password. So moving to the next slide. Okay, I spoke earlier about uh, finding evidence of um, attacks whereby the, all the attacker done has done is walked into the database, stolen data by you know selecting data. They've not modified anything, so nothing will be in the redo logs. They've not created anything, so nothing will be in the obj table. If they've just stolen data, how do we find evidence of that? Well, there are, thanks to uh, you know the robustness of Oracle, there are some really good places to find it. So first off, there's the automatic workload repository. We'll come to that in a minute. There's the cost-based optimizer. Um, again, we'll come to all these. <coughs> and then there's the, there's the fixed view, which is a, a memory-based view, v.sql. So the cost-based op optimizer is, is an interesting one because there's a table called coal usage dollar. Now, what happens is when a query, a select query is, is executed with a predicate, now, a predicate basically is the where statement that's tacked on to the end. So if you said select star from table where column equals one, that where column equals one is, is a predicate. Now, the cost-based optimizer is Oracle's internal um, mechanism for knowing where to, you know, give extra resource to and, and, and so on. So, you know, should it allocate memory and so on. Now, this Colby usage table keeps track of the kinds of predicates that have been executed against a given table. So if you have a, um, a, a, a statement that's been executed against the database server that says select star from table where age is greater than 32, then there would be the object ID of the, the table that's been queried inserted into the call usage table and a one set against a range predicate. Now, that by analyzing this table, we can basically infer things from um, what queries have been run against our tables. So if 
we know in our organization that we don't have a, a single application out there that, you know, does arrange query, you know, like have, having a predicate that says where, great, where age is greater than a, a number, if we don't have any applications that do that, but yet we find in this call users table a, uh, a row that has a range predicate in use against a table that typically isn't queried anyway, then we can infer from that that someone at some point has made a query using, you know, something our applications aren't doing, and that might be indicative of an attack. So it, in, in certain cases, it might be useful to have almost like a wee honeypot, so create a table called credit cards that you know perfectly well none of the applications in the organization will, will query, and no one in their day-to-day -day business will uh, you know, query this table simply because it's, it's a fake table, it's a honeypot. Now, if this, you know, what hackers will typically do is, is root around for interesting sounding tables, and if they see a table called credit card, then they'll go, ooh, I'm gonna select dates from that, and as soon as, you know, you start getting the column, uh, sorry, the object ID for, you know, the, the, the credit card table appearing in this call usage, then you know someone's tinkering with the system. So that that's quite a useful indicator. Moving to the next slide. Oh, I've got a question for you. Yeah, sure. Sure, it's coming from Dennis, and uh, it's a multi-part question on uh, hex codes. Yep. And uh, his example, or his question is, uh, how sensitive are these specific hex codes? For example, uh, 0E00 signals a sort of list of offsets. How uh, sensitive are they to various versions of Oracle or alternative configurations of Oracle, like a Unicode or alternate collating sequences, etc.? Well, if there, the, if there is a variation in coding, will your tool attempt to handle it? Uh, okay. So the 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 code I think you said zero e zero zero is that correct? Correct. So that's obviously taken from the um, the slot free link list. Now that the slot free link list is the same with all versions of Oracle, um, and the zero e would change depending upon obviously which index is the next one where the next free slot exists. So zero e just happens to be there because the first, you know, the next slot is in index 0E. So that, that should be the same for all, all versions. However, there are some things which are different. So, for example, the object ID of the obj dollar table is different depending upon, like Oracle 10G release 2, I think has a slightly different um, object ID for um, versus, say, Oracle 9i. So there, there are some key differences. Certainly with things like the redo logs, um, there are definite changes. And so, for example, um, the DDL, uh, the, the text of DDL will not appear in earlier versions of Oracle, just that some DDL took place, basically. So it's only later versions of Oracle, um, and I can't remember off the top of my head which versions start including the DDL text, but suffice it to say I have documented it in you know, the, the paper. So if someone's concerned about the differences between different versions of Oracle, I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to document all of these, you know, quirks and variations for each version, you know. And if, if there is, you know, I mean, this is all about peer review. If, if I've missed something, then please someone, you know, get in touch with me and say, can you update your documentation because there is a change that you haven't noted. But this is all about, you know, communicating and, uh, you know, 
finding the best way of uh, doing this, basically. So, so yes, there are variations in answer to the question, um, but not specifically with the the one he quoted. All right. Rick? Thanks a lot. Cool. Yep. Um, where are we? So the that slide currently shown here is the coal usage table and and what the uh, columns are. I'm going to skip forward a couple of these um, because we, we've sort of spoken about that. That there, this slide here is a list. You know, if we, we've selected from it basically to show when the query took place because obviously timestamps are key <coughs> to when things are. Uh, you know, are going on in a forensic situation. And the object ID on the left, those we need to work out what the actual object uh, that marries up to, and then the, you know, the, 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 the predicates, basically. So as I said, coal usage can provide um, useful information. The automatic workload repository is something that's slight, slightly different. When SQL, uh, the SQL take, uh, statement takes um, a long time to execute, information about that is stored in certain tables. So there's this WRH um, active session history, SQL text, and SQL stat. If during an attack, the attack has done something to put extra load on the database server, then there's a good chance that their, their SQL statement may appear in these tables. So they're definitely worth having a look at. I'm not saying evidence will be in there, but there's a there's a chance it may be in there. So these tables are definitely worth having a look at to see if there's any queries that look untoward. You know, one useful uh, for example, one way of exfiltrating data is using the UTL HTTP function uh, UTL HTTP uh, dot request function rather. Now what this function does basically is, is posts or passes data to web servers. So we can inject UTL uh, underscore HTTP dot request into a, a vulnerable procedure and have an arbitrary select query go in, in there and post data back out to a web server. Now, because there's a network round trip, that is perceived to take a long time and would typically appear in one of these tables. So Network-based um, exfiltration attacks will often appear in these tables, so it's definitely worth checking those ones out. <clears throat> these uh, screen dumps are, you know, showing what kind of queries to make. The V dollar SQL fixed view is sort of like a, a, a first in, um, last out kind of, you know, circular table basically, a circular view. So. It, it probably um, records, depending upon how busy the system is, you know, the, the last few, well, there's a couple of thousand, basically, SQL stems. In a busy system, you're going to see, um, you, you know, the evidence will be gone very, very quickly. Um, in a not-so-busy system, there's a good chance that the V$ uh, SQL fix view is an in-memory view, basically, um, it, it may contain evidence. Of course, an anti-forensics attack is the last thing an attacker will do is select one, select two from dual, select three from dual, and start filling up, you know, and pushing out older queries. So it's not, you know, foolproof, but it, it, again, it may hold evidence. So it's well, always worth checking out. And that's a sort of a tamper evident. I mean, that doesn't normally occur. Exactly. 
there's something you, new going on. If you have, uh, if you've done your research properly, you, and you have an understanding of what an application environment is doing, then rather than just doing select one, select two, which would stand out like a sore thumb, a, a smarter attacker would fill it up with queries that make it look genuine. You know, ones but, that you. But would the timestamps on the queries would all be right then. Um, they wouldn't be spread out over time like normal queries. It would just be a whole ton of queries all at once, unless I guess that's, they scripted it or that, that, that's true. Yeah. And and the, selecting the last active time, you know, the, the the query that's currently up, you know, you would need to to get that, and that would, I, I, I suppose, as you say, um, having all the same timestamp or a timestamp within a a set period. Yeah, especially for those quieter systems, would um, would stand out like a sore thumb. Excuse me. Okay, moving to Orobot itself. Okay, so um, that's the basic blurb for it. Um, Jeff read it out earlier in the introductory slide. I, when I released the tool, I um, wrote a white paper um, using SCNs. SCNs, a system commit number, basically, a system change number, that when... Uh, Oracle makes a change to the um, to the uh, to the database server. It, it has a system change number, basically, and these system change numbers have an associated timestamp. Now, each block, when a, a block of data is changed, um, the SCN is updated. So, even if <clears throat> someone hacks around with, say, the the columns um, of, uh, say, Objdollar for the Time create, you know, the the creation times or modified times, and they they hack it so it looks like it's not been modified with. Then what we can actually do is look at the SCN in that, you know, the block itself, and if there is a if um, the SCN has been updated, but there doesn't look like any row of data has been updated, then we can infer from that that something untoward has gone on. So that that paper there, that URL is a paper that shows our block in use to work out um, whether one it, it, the paper dumps objects from the uh, <clears throat> excuse me from the uh, from the data file and looks at the SANs and, and everything like that to work out um, and, and gets the timestamps back to work out whether you know un anything untoward has been happening so the next slide is the uh, this is basically when you run or block without any uh, options, this, it shows you the help. Now, the minus F option is the, the file that we're obviously interested in. The default, basically, if you just specify uh, the minus F with the, with the data file, it just dumps the um, every block of inf you know every block of data in in raw format. Uh, which you know, unless you understand hex and eat it for breakfast, you're probably really not going to you know get much uses out of. So the next one is the minus C option, which is the column template. Now, what this does basically is we can say the first column is a number, the second column is a, say, bar char, the next column is a date. Whatever the columns happen to be, we can say how that view or how that row of data is presented to the user of our block. So we can start to get human-readable information out of it. 
Now, if you don't want uh, a row of information printed to the screen, you're only interested, say, the third column, then there's a special entry, no print, and it won't print, you know, th that, those columns, basically. So um, that, that's quite useful. So essentially, we have a way of querying the, uh, the, the data file without actually having an Oracle database server. The, uh, the, uh, the minus um, Z option, <coughs> excuse me, is the, the block size. Now, the default is 8,192, but if you're on, say, uh, HPOX, uh, then the, the block size is, is going to be different. So you can specify um, a, a different uh, block size. Minus mm -hmm. row is the... Sorry? And where would they find the block size? Oh, it, it's documented um, in uh, lo locating dropped objects. One of the papers I wrote uh, a while back, uh, I think it's... Um, I think, I actually, I'm not even going to think. Off the top of my head, I can't remember, but suffice it to say, some uh, some different iOSs have uh, different block sizes from the default. Um, Linux and, and Windows is 8,192, but some other, uh, some other OSs have different block sizes. So I've documented that in, I think it's the locating dropped objects uh, okay. paper. The, if we're only interested in a specific object ID, then we specify the, the minus O and then the object ID we're interested in. The minus B is if we're interested in a particular block number, then or we start from a block number um, and we can specify how many blocks we want dumped from that, then that's what the minus B option does. And if we want a, set, a, a, a default set, uh, to change the default separator, so as it currently stands, each row of data is printed on a, on a new line, essentially. And each, between each, um, sorry, not each row, each column of data is printed on a, um, on a new line, whereas each row is separated with a, an asterisk, basically, like a, a line of asterisks. <clears throat> now, if we want to use something like grep or finestra, you know, on a, on a command line to find um, objects with, a, say, a given name, then we can use a different separator, for example, a, co a comma, um, to allow us to use uh, grep or uh, finestra. Uh, and again, the, the paper I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, using Oracle SCNs shows an example of that, um, you know, using a different separator to, you know, pipe the information to a, uh, a file source kind of thing. And then there are some actions, basically. The actions are dump all, which, you know, they're, they're pretty self-explanatory, um, which dumps all the data. Uh, show deleted, which only shows deleted data. Now, dump uh, not by offsets. This speaks about those bits of data which aren't necessarily linked to. And um, there's the, the show to not deleted um, by offset, not by offsets. And again, again, this is, you know, when we're not relying on the offsets, basically. So we're getting information that might uh, be uh, no longer linked to in the, um, in the row directory and, and they're now slot, marked as slot-free in, in the linked list. And then there's the final option is dump SCNs. So for a given block, we can look at its SCN and its timestamp, you know, which we then feed into uh get his timestamp out by dumping a, um, a list of SCNs and the timestamps from the um, SMON uh, 
SCN uh, timestamps map kind of thing, which again is all documented in that uh, paper. Okay, so here's an example of the uh, command line running on um, from a command line where the minus F option is, remember, the, the name of the file we're interested in, which is system01.dbf. This is the, 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 the ta this is the data file that conta contains the, um, the system table space, you know, all the metadata. The action is dump all, minus, you know, minus A, capital A. Uh, minus O is the object ID 18, which is the obj dollar table. And minus C is the, um, the column template file, which um, is object.txt. And what we've done basically there is done a print on the first column, which gives us the object ID. Uh, skip to the next two with no print, and then the fourth column we're printing, which is the column name, and then we've ignored, done no print for the remaining columns. So all we're getting out there is the object ID and the object name. Obviously, if we wanted all that information, we would just change no print to, um, you know, date or uh, varchar or whatever it happens to be. So you have complete control of, over how did that data showed to, <coughs> shown, shown to you and, you know, um, which columns you're actually interested in. Now that, I think, brings us to the end. So, time for some questions. Yeah, so I've been trying to be uh, answer the questions along the way, but uh, Matt has a question on, will the tool be able to work with C2 audit logs? Um, I don't know what a C2 audit log is. Well, I, I, I presume um, he's talking about the uh, a, a C2 compliant um, Oracle server, um, and Oroblock itself will not um, because it's the order. Oh wait a minute! I, sorry, I think what he's meaning is if um, if someone's configured auditing in the AUD dollar table, um, will it dump information from there? Absolutely, yes, it will. If that's not what you're meaning, um, and an audit log, uh, a C2 audit log is something different to you, then Oroblock won't do that um, simply because it's designed to, you know, dump data from an Oracle data file. Okay. Um, so we'll take any other questions if we haven't answered anything uh, appropriately for you. Just uh, fire off a question to us. Um, otherwise, I want to ask Dave just a couple of questions and then we'll we'll wrap it up. So uh, so you were mentioning earlier that you've got this is the first of a tool uh, a suite of tools you're going to be uh, developing. Yep. So just curiously, how do you make money? I mean. You're going to spend a lot of time on these tools. Nobody else has done it, and it seems like a perfect business opportunity. But you're uh, you're giving them away. So well, so um, there is another thing I'm working on called Quizix. Uh, these are interim tools, um, or, or a block, and the other one I'm working on. Um, these are interim tools until I get Quizix finalized. Now, obviously, because of the um, acquisition of NGS Software by NCC there was some question as to, you know, what would be the future of, of Quizix. Just to, just to explain very quickly, Quizix is uh, an overarching breach investigation tool, and um, it's got some really cool, you know, innovations in there. And the way, um, in answering to your question, there'll be a free, well, um, there, there's, the expectation is there's going to be a free version of, of Quizix, um, 
And then there's also going to be a professional supported version of Quizix with, you know, a whole bunch more modules in it and um, and so on. But right now, Quizix is, is still in very much um, alpha stage. So in terms of, you know, building a business out of it or, or, or what that's not even touched my mind yet kind of thing um, to any great extent. And it just came to mind and, because looking at... I, it just came to mind because looking at some of the attendees that are uh, that are signed in here, I see a lot of companies that seem interested in this tool. And uh, I was wondering what uh, how much of it is altruistic motivation, giving back to the community, which I I believe in, but also is this just a testing ground for ideas? Uh, and it's well, like it yeah, right now. I mean, it's, it's um, I've, I've always been a. a you know, keen to share information for free, much to the chagrin of my fellow directors at NGS Software, no doubt. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, you don't so know how I, many times people want us to charge for our content. It's, yeah, uh, no. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm not looking to productize anything. I'm just basically keen, you know, to do the research, write the tools, and provide help, basically, you know, to those who, who desire it. You know, so yeah. I mean, it's all very well, you know, we have to pay the bills, I, I suppose, at, at the end of the day. So, um, yeah. So then next up then, you mentioned earlier, is the uh, your second tool in the suite. Yeah, that's going to look at the um, Oracle Redo logs. And then what would you, once you get that tool out, and is that sort of the 90% solution where you figure you've got 90%? No, that's, that's bad. You know, those, those two deal with two specific things, but in terms of the, the, the whole breach investigation side of things, there's a whole raft of things that still need to be done yet. And when you say breach investigation, you're talking specifically uh, database? Uh, not just databases. So Quizix is um, going to have modules to do like uh, UTEMP, WTEMP files, um, SNORT, you know, logs. Um, TCP dump logs, everything basically. So anything that any networked device that may have some kind of evidentiary value in terms of files, I'm I'm, I'm looking to write a module for it basically. Now what Quizix will do is take the information contained in all these um, you know potential evidence files and um, build you know uh, create a common format from that and that will allow you then to make queries against that you know common format that helps correlate events that happen on the network and from there you can begin to recognize patterns and, and sequences. On top of that there's a whole bunch of filters for you know attack methods that will allow you to very quickly you know remove ninety nine percent of the, the benign information and hone in on hone in on those things that are potentially, you know, dodgy attacks, basically. So, um, I'd like to take this time, though, to... Uh, we're going to push out a questionnaire, a feedback form to everybody. Sure. It'll pop up on the screen if people could give us some feedback. Um, we're constantly trying to improve and uh, increase the content uh, value for everybody here. So while we're still talking and answering some questions, just uh, there's a feedback form for everybody to see. Um, there's a question. Uh, is there anything to review the redo logs for Oracle 7? Oh, jeezy peeps. You know, I've never even touched an Oracle 7 uh, box, so um, I, I, 
I don't know the answer to that. I, you know, I, I can't even confirm whether Oracle 7 actually has read logs, to be honest. So, if, 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 if tell you what, if, if someone's worried about Oracle 7 and they they have a, um, you know, the install, if they want to send it to me, I'm I'm happy to install it and start, you know, investigating it for them. So, is uh, when you briefly looked a couple of years ago at DB2 and MSSQL, yeah. um, are similar type tools possible? Or oh, absolutely, way- yep. And so now on the, the to-do list as well. Okay. So somebody could learn from this but then apply it to their own. Absolutely. And, and you know what? I hope people start doing this um, because, you know, th- th- there's so much to do out there. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing the best given, you know, the other things I have to do in, in, in my life. But, uh, yeah, if, if, if people want to get together and, you know, start cranking out a whole bunch of tools, that would be awesome, you know? So. Okay. So it's a, almost a... Uh a generic, the way in which the data blocks grow and shrink, there might be a slightly different approach. But oh, well, each RDBMS has its own approach. Um, but the way the fingerprints are laid, the, the order... Yeah, which, sure. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, let's see. Oh, no feedback form, just the question and answer slide. I think they uh, popped the Q&A slide. Yeah, there it is. It came back. It disappeared for a moment. Okay. Well, we've got uh, just a couple minutes left, but we can always leave early. I'm going to so, talk... Uh, if Matt um, from WPS is still around, um, if, if I didn't answer his question because I didn't understand it, uh, if he resubmits that question, or yeah. uh, Ray, Ray's question with the, the reading logs and the, the, the 10 or, on the offsets and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then for those of you, uh, if you want to share this presentation, that's fine. There's no copyright restrictions as long as you don't turn around and try to make money off of it. And uh, you'll be able to download a complete synchronized uh, web and audio file from uh, On24. We'll have a link from the Black Hat site. So if you want to replay this for people, no problem. Um, and then in a couple of days, we'll also encode the audio, just the audio portion, and make an RSS feed. Uh, for you, so you can also download that directly from the Black Hat site in a few days and uh, add it to our gathering collection of webinar series. And uh, as always, they're, they're free for everybody to use and distribute. Could I um, also say, just a reminder, if anyone wants uh, the tool, uh, it's www.databasesecurity.com, um, and there's a whole bunch of uh, papers on uh, Oracle Forensics there as well. Okay, Matt says you answered the question. It was to his satisfaction. So good. Great. Okay. So Ray is the only one we're not sure about. And um, for those of you who want to get more involved in Black Hat, you possibly even want to speak uh, on a webinar or suggest topics for us. Uh, we build our editorial calendar two or three months in advance, uh, but we try to be nimble. And so if there is a new topic that you'd like to see, uh, we're open to hunting down speakers and building content uh, to meet your needs. Uh, we're also just getting ready to close down uh, the call for papers for the Washington, D.C. event, but the uh, call for papers for Amsterdam is still open. So if any of you want to have a chance of presenting, please go ahead and submit. Or if you've signed up to pay for one of our conferences, don't forget you can take part in reviewing the content using our CFP system. It's sort of a crowdsourcing application, and you can vote for the ones you like and uh, help us select the content for upcoming conferences. Well, that's cool. I think we have one last question, and then uh, was that just the UI telling me of a question? Uh, it popped up behind other windows. Okay, great. 
Well, please take time to do feedback. I want to thank David. It's, it's really cool listening to David talk, for those of you who don't know. Um, the first time David spoke uh, was at a black hat. And, uh, he started off with this huge screen of just one giant, like, I don't know, what was it? Six it was, point, uh, you have six, to remind me. Yeah, thanks, Frank. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you've come such a long way. Now you're... Yeah. Now I look up to you, your slides, I'm looking at your slides, that's a lot of work. Well, I was going to say, it's got color in it, you know? I know, it's got color, and uh, I was uh, actually admiring the one slide where you broke out the data blocks and connected them to the, uh, the way they were reassembled. Yep. And I can just imagine you, what tool do you use to do that? MS Paint. You use MS Paint? <laughs> Fantastic. Well, at least I tried in PowerPoint, and that's like ripping your hair out. Yeah, well... MS Paint's a nice, easy tool. I'm, I'm not very uh, good with computers, so, uh, you know, I, I can hack them. I just can't use them. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Well, hey, thanks, David. Uh, I look forward to seeing you at a, a future show, and uh, if you have any questions, just feel free to email us, and uh, we'll take care of them. So, once again, okay. let's close down the uh, conference, and I'll see you guys on the, uh, the private chat afterward. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, well, thank you all, gentlemen. And for more information, again, we refer to the resource links that are open before you on the screen. And thanks for attending today's Black Hat webcast, Oracle Database Forensics, brought to you by Black Hat and United Business Media, LLC. Shortly after this live event, you can access this presentation on demand. We will send you an email. This webcast is copyright 2008 by United Business Media, LLC. Presentation materials are owned by or copyright, if that is the case, by Black Hat and United Business Media, LLC, who are solely responsible for its content, and the individual speakers are solely responsible for their content and their opinions. And on behalf of our guests, Jeff Moss of Black Hat and David Litchfield of NGS Software, thanks for your time, and have a great day. <laughs>